In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So the creed puts us in our proper place. He made us and all creatures, all of the creation. Without his providence, we would not have our clothing or shoes, food or drink, or anything that sustains the life that the Lord gave us. And he continues to guard and protect us. As St. Paul says in Acts chapter 17, in him we live, move, and have our being. The first article of the creed shows how utterly dependent we are on the Lord and also how utterly responsible we are to him. We are his creatures. He does not create us humans from the dust just to have us ignore him and to live our lives as if he were an extra. No, there is God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. There is the holy triune God to whom the fiery angels say in Isaiah chapter 6, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in his presence, all by ourselves, we would echo the words of Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. That is, if we did not know the Lord as a loving God, who not only gives us all of our blessings in this earthly life, but he does it only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in us. And this Father has now provided redemption for us and reconciliation to himself through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Catechism, Luther emphasizes that even our earthly existence in this age is a result of God's grace. But the most important reason to rejoice in God's grace is exactly what we as Lutherans confess so boldly, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and this we know by Scripture alone. We are Christians. We believe in Jesus Christ. And so, it is so utterly marvelous that this evening we focus on the second article of the creed and its meaning. Since this is so important, it's the very heart of the faith, after all, we are called Christians, there is also so much to say. We're going to spend two weeks to cover this article and the explanation, and in reality, that won't be good enough, but that's all the weeks we've allotted to it for this Lenten sermon series. Now, there's a certain convenient way of doing it by having the second article in two weeks. And I think it's a helpful way of covering this article. As we look to Jesus, the one we speak about in the second article of the Creed, we need to ask two questions. Who is Jesus and what has he done for our salvation? Now, you who hear and sit in, this, in these pews so often, Know that we as Lutherans spent a lot of time talking about that second question. What has he done for our salvation? You are constantly hearing 
and this is a good thing, about his death on the cross for you and for your salvation. But the question, the first question, who is Jesus is equally important because if Jesus is not who he says he is, then all that going to the cross doesn't atone for your sins or mine. In the creed, we confess these words. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, in the Catechism, the Examination, we say this. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. That's who he is. There's actually three parts to that, not just two parts, as it would seem um, just from looking at the explanation. He is Jesus Christ. Christ. Christ is a Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. The whole of the Old Testament looks forward to the undoing of the fall, the crash of the creation that occurred when Adam and Eve sinned. You see, even Eve mistakenly calls her son. She thinks, I've begotten the Lord. No, Cain is not the Lord, but she knows the promise. From Eve and Adam's sin, all the way through the Old Testament, there's the promise of the Messiah, the anointed one. And that anointed one is Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one that, that all of mankind has been looking forward to ever since the fall into sin, Jesus Christ. And then we confess, true God begotten the Father from eternity. It's very important to understand that this person is God and man. He is true God. And as God, he has no beginning. He is co-equal with the Father and the Spirit. This one who walks in Galilee is the eternal, only begotten Son of the Father who has all power and is able to save. True God, begotten the Father of eternity. We also speak that he's born of the Virgin Mary, so therefore he is true man, true man. He is man so that he can save. He's not half God and half man. He's true God and true man. This is very important for him to be our Lord. And we confess in the explanation that he is my Lord. And we'll talk more next week about what he has done to save us as our Lord. Earlier, I said there's two questions we need to answer. And we'll answer those questions this week and next week. Who is Jesus and what has he done to save us? I would say that really you could rephrase it into two other questions. And the first question we'll spend most of the time this evening. Can he save? And what does he do to save? Can he save? Can Jesus save? In other words, does he have the ability? You could ask the day school kids, or, or even as my, my own children as they got older, they, they take, you know, my children say, Dad, can I go to the bathroom? I say, we're calling 911. You know, the day school kid does the same thing. Can I go to the bathroom, Pastor? No, 
do I need to call 911? It's can is a word of ability. May is a word of permission. Can. Can Jesus save? This is why it's so important that he be true God and true man. Now, this is not quite as simple as it seems. In fact, our Lutheran theologians have spent a lot of time on that. In fact, uh, we, we in Lutheran uh, theology speak about three things. The genus idiomaticum, the genus myostaticum, and the genus apotelsmaticum. Did I say that right, Pastor? We're close? Close, yeah. Yeah, so it's a... Um, in reality, you don't need to know those words. But here's basically what, the, what they mean. That Jesus Christ, this one who, who's incarnate, that he has all the attributes of God and all the attributes of man. In other words, he's absolutely God and absolutely man. And that means that he could be born of, the, of, of a woman, he could grow up, and he would have been three years old at one time. Uh, those are attributes of a man. He could get hungry, he could sleep, but he's also God. In other words, he has all power. He never gives up all his power, even though he hides it. He knows all things, and so in other words, he has all the attributes of God. And so each, the attributes of each person is in Jesus Christ. He's always true God and true man. Now the second means that, that attributes according to the divine nature have been, have been given to the human nature so that Jesus, who is true man, can walk on water. But more importantly, and the question is for you and me, is when you sit down at supper and pray, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, is this God or man that you're praying to? Can, can, or are you just praying to, to just the God part of him? No, you're praying to God and man because he, according to both natures, can be there with you. But there's one other place that's much more important than that, not just the table prayer. But the question that came up in the Reformation is important for you and me, is can Jesus give us his body and his blood for the forgiveness of sins? When you gather this altar, can Jesus give you his body and his blood for the forgiveness of sins? And that's why the second gainus is so important. Yes, he can. So that here at Bethany Lutheran Church in Naperville, Illinois, on a given Sunday, you can receive the body and blood of Christ. But likewise, Trinity Lutheran Church, my home church in Savannah, Georgia, can likewise be given the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so you can take comfort that when you pray to Jesus, you're praying to Jesus, true God and true man. And that when you receive his supper, you're receiving the body and blood of Christ. And the last thing is, is that, is that we, we don't separate them because we have this personal union and so Jesus is always doing his actions according to the whole person. He's always Jesus. We don't separate him out. He's always Jesus, and he saves you and me. And so his incarnation, the who Jesus is, and can he save is very important. Yes, because he's true God. And yes, because he's true man. Because he's only one Jesus. He is my Lord. He is your Lord, and he's able to save. And then I'm going to add one question that, that doesn't follow this pattern of the two questions. This last question I have is, does he desire to save? 
Yes. Above all, you have a gracious God. A God is so, that is so gracious, so loving, that he, despising the shame of the cross, and knowing full well from eternity that he would have to die for you, he said, yes, I love you so much. I will become incarnate. I love you so much. I will humble myself in the circumstances of being in Galilee. I love you so much. I will allow soldiers to beat me, put me on a cross, shamefully abuse me, and I'll allow myself to die for you. Does he have a desire to save? Yes. So this Jesus, true God, begotten the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He, who is true God, true man, can he save? Yes, as true God and true man, he can indeed save. Does he desire to save? Yes, he most certainly does, because above all, he is gracious and merciful to you and to me. And so we confess Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and we'll keep on going. Because next week, we'll talk about what has he done? And did he do it indeed for you and me? Yes, he did. The Lord bless you this evening. Amen. <laughs>